So we read a little about it, a little bit about it when the portion was read. There's a beautiful, yes, thank you. There's a beautiful Shabbat that we learn about in this Torah portion. There's actually a couple in this Torah portion, which is called Behar. That has nothing to do with Joy Behar, by the way. Just saying. End of sermon. No. Um, so there's a beautiful Shabbat we learn about. Um, we're very, we've become accustomed to the Shabbat that we celebrate when we come here, the Shabbat of the, of the week, the, set, the seventh day, and we come here and we celebrate it. But, you know, the Shabbat, the Sabbath is so important to God. And there's something very magical about it and, and beautiful and, and, and spiritual about it, something that we don't even understand. Even though we come here and we have our service and very often we'll just go back home or whatever we wind up doing, there's something very, very, very holy to God about the Shabbat. So holy to God that he commands the land to have a Shabbat. Like, why would the land care? So there's something very beautiful about it. Uh, I've shared this before, that in the Ten Commandments, the, the, the first three commandments are about God. There should be no other God. Don't make idols. Don't take his name in vain. The last six commandments are about our dealings with man. Um... Honor your father and your mother, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't uh, lie, don't covet. And in between the commandments about God and the commandments about how to deal with men is this little command called keep the Shabbat. It's the door between man and God. In fact, because it's the fourth commandment and the number four is represented by the Hebrew letter Dalit, and the Hebrew word Dalit means door. So it is the door. It is the Shabbat. Whether we get it or understand it or not, it is a gateway to God from man. And it's very, very important to God that he himself rested. Like God rested. How do we even comprehend that God rested? I mean, he's, he's from eternity past. He's the ancient of days. He doesn't need a nap. I need a nap. But God doesn't, but God, God doesn't need a rest. Yet when he created heaven and earth and everything, he rested. And he set a precedent right there that if I needed rest or I gave myself rest, Everything, all of creation needs a rest. And it's something that's important to us. You know, we understand this just because of the need that we have for sleep. Like God could have created us to be 24 by 7 beings. To just go, go, go. Like Paula. He could have made us to be energizer bunnies. Like Paula. But for most of us, we need sleep. And it's, I think there's something very spiritual in that, that there is a time that we work, and there's a time that we refresh and we regenerate. There's a time for the work, and there's a time to pull back and recharge and regenerate. And that is really the essence of Shabbat. Now, for all of you folks who's better than all the church folks, because they meet on Sunday and you are so great you meet on Saturday, I got news for you. 
most of you don't really keep Shabbat. Because Shabbat ain't about what day I go to service. It's a day of rest. And not a moment of rest. It's a 24-hour rest. It's not just to go to service and then do what you want. It is a day that God instilled for us, that he commanded us, because he feels that we needed to pull back and get that battery recharge. And that's not happening just by coming to service. And I'm not judging anybody because I don't do it. I don't keep a perfect Shabbat myself. I'm not really good at taking a, a perfect Shabbat. I'm really good at taking a perfect nap. I highly recommend it. But like I said, it's the same, it's the same principle that does a recharge. I have found that if I have the opportunity to take an afternoon nap, even if it's for like 15 minutes for the rest of the afternoon, I am more productive than if I didn't. What am I saying here? I'm saying that God put it into our DNA to need a time of recharge and re regeneration. It's there. It's in us. We all need it, even if we don't keep it. And there's something really interesting that I'll get to about what happens when we don't keep it. Because God kind of forces it upon us. And we're going to get there. And I'm going to show you. So now we talk about, we see a very special Shabbat in this Torah portion called Joy Behar. And, <laughs> no, I don't think so. So we see a very special Shabbat, and it's Shabbat of the land. Now, why would a, a land, land need a Shabbat? Well, apparently it does, because God feels apparently that the land ha needs that same type of regeneration that we, we need. And it ain't just a day, it's a whole year. We have a Shabbat of a day, the land has a Shabbat of a year. And in Hebrew, it's called the Shemitah. Shemitah. S-H-M. Make sure you keep that M in there. I-T-T-A. It's the uh, year, it's the sabbatical year for the land. It's every seven years. Now, I hear a lot of people say it's this year or it's last year. I believe that when it is, it's been lost over time. Because in honesty, the children of Israel, since they went into the land way back in the time of Joshua, they kept the Sabbaths. But we learned in the, in the scripture that they never kept these. So I think we, we don't really know. Some prophetic voices believe they do. And maybe it is and maybe it isn't. I don't know. There's a one in seven chance that you got it right. That's not terrible. If the lottery was like that, I'd be playing it. Okay. So anyway, so one in every seven years is a Shabbat of the land. And the land gets uh, a year to rest. And what does it mean for the land to have a year of rest? It means you just leave it. Just don't sow it. Don't sow into it. Don't plant into it. Don't gather from it. Don't reap from it. Just let it be wild. For a whole year. So, when God gave this command, and by the way, I've read some Jewish sources about that, and some Jewish rabbis that I've read have said, if you want any proof, any proof that the Bible and the Torah, especially, is divinely inspired, 
that is from God, and it cannot be from man. Look at the Shemitah. Look at the seven-year sabbatical for the land. Because who, what country's founding father would ever say for one whole year, don't plant, don't gather, it is primarily a death sentence. Because we don't know if there's going to be a drought or a famine or anything like that. But God is saying to the Israelites, don't touch the land, don't, don't glean from it, don't do anything from it. You're like, well, okay, well, I guess they can have their milk and they can have their beef. Well, what are the, what's the cows going to eat if it's like a drought, you know? Like, this is literally a death sentence for a nation. This is literally a death, but God. So we see in this Torah portion, we see them asking, all right, I understand not eating a pork chop. I understand not eating shrimp cocktail. But I don't understand how we're going to survive this one, Moses. So they ask in our Torah portion, if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crops? God gives an answer that no founding father can promise. George Washington can't promise this to Americans. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Who can promise that? Nobody can promise it but God. This, if this was a man-made book and a man-made constitution and man-made laws, there's no way a man would put that in because that is a death sentence for a nation. You can't gather in any crops for one year. For one year. You never know what's going to happen. So, when you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop and you shall eat the old until the ninth year when the crop arrives. So, if all that text confuses you, I made a little graphic about it because, hey, I'm pretty good at PowerPoint. So here we go. So there, Kathy, it's how you smell, spell Schmitta. So here we have a bunch of years, year one through year nine. Got it? Now, which one is the Schmitta year? Year seven. That's why I color-coded it, right? So what happens, let's say it's year one, whatever year one is, that's seed. You could, you could, you could plant, and you can harvest. Got it? Easy peasy. Second year, you could do the same thing. You could plant, you can harvest, you can plant, you can harvest. You plant, you can harvest, you could plant. But the Schmitte year is coming up. And God promises in this year, he's going to provide three years worth of blessing. Nobody can promise that. So, when the Schmitte year comes and you can't plant, you can eat. From that sixth year. And then when the eighth year comes. And you can start the plant. Because it takes time from the planting to the gathering. It takes a whole season. You still need to eat. You can continue to eat from that food. And then the ninth year. We're back to normal. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. But there's one mistake or misunderstanding in what I just showed. And it will give you an incorrect understanding of the miracle 
of the Shemitah year, the sabbatical for the land, the Sabbath for the land. Because how many years did you see in year six? I'm sorry, how many baskets of fruit did you see in year six? Three. Is it an act of faith in the sixth year to see three times as much blessing? And to say, look at all this food. And to then progress into the seventh year? That's not faith. Faith doesn't come by sight. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you have three years worth of food, it doesn't take faith to say, heck, I could survive the next couple years. That's not faith. But this was an exercise of faith for the Israelites. So how did it become an exercise of faith? This is how it happened. This is corroborated by rabbinical teaching, and this is totally true. So this is what happened. Year one, year two, we went through three, four, five, six. Now, in the previous slide, there were three baskets of food, three times as much, right? That's not what happens. All they get is this. That's what they get. And then the Shemitah year comes where they can't plant. They have to have faith that that will happen. It's faith. It's not by sight. And then in the eighth year when they're planting, they have to trust And then the ninth year happens, and it's back to normal. It's the type of faith needed where we trust that God will expand what we have beyond what we see. It is the faith, according to Or HaChayim, who is a 17th century rabbi from Morocco, who wrote that this miracle was similar to the miracle that happened under Elisha with the oil, where the woman had a little oil, and she was going to die. And he said, go bring a whole bunch of containers in. And she started to pour the little oil into the containers. But then somehow this oil, which was only this much, wound up filling up all these containers. It is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's the same miracle when Yeshua had 12 loaves and fishes and it wound up feeding 5,000. It's the same miracle of the manna. That the manna in its own natural state is supposed to... Um, it's supposed to deteriorate the next day. It's supposed to spoil the next day. Not on Shabbat. It extends. It's a miracle. This is the faith needed for the Shemitah. It's where the rubber of faith really meets the road. It's when we're entering into a time when we're not allowed to harvest, but we need to trust that God is going to provide. The lesson for us, whatever year the Schmitzer really is, is that we all go through seasons of lack. Of seasons where we even may see abundance out there, but for some reason it's not hitting us. But we need to trust and have faith that God will provide for us even in times of lack. And this is the lesson for us in the Shemitah, that God miraculously provides, 
How many people here have gone through times of lack? And I know that he's brought you out of it because you're still sitting here. God provides even in times of lack. So how do we learn to do this? How do we learn to trust? And what is the lesson for us in this? First of all, the Shemitah is so important to God. Like I said, the Shabbat, it's just, it's just important to him. Let me say it another way. It's just important to him. Maybe I'm not being clear. It's just important to him. So much so that when the people of Israel sinned and they were exiled into Babylon, God said, now the land will keep its Sabbaths. And you're going to be out of the land for as many Shemitahs that you did not keep. So you were in the land for 490 years, I guess, and you didn't keep any of those Shemitahs every seven years. That's 70 Shemitahs you didn't keep. 70 years, you're out. And we're going to let the land regenerate. Because when we have our time of rest, we regenerate. And you didn't let the land have it. So you're out. And we're going to let the land do it. This is how important the Shemitah is to God. And what is it saying here? That when the children of Israel didn't allow the land to have its rest, he kicks them out so the land will have its rest. It means that when we go through times of lack, it's ordained by God so we can regenerate spiritually. When we go through our time of lack, when we cannot harvest, when we are not receiving blessing or even planting blessing, we have this time where like, God, are you using me or not? Because I don't feel you're using me. He is regenerating you because he forces Sabbaths when we don't keep it. And he'll force it on us by bringing us through times of dryness. And times of lack where we need to trust him and we keep praying it away. But the spirit of God is saying it ain't going to work until the land has its designated rest. And you are the land. And it will be over in its season. And then you will move forward with regeneration. You will be recharged. And that's why he brings us into times of lack our own personal Schmitte years to recharge us because he knows that we need it. So what can we learn about how to survive these times of lack? What can we learn from the Schmitte? If we go into the same verses from the book of Exodus where it speaks about the Schmitte year, we learn something. It says, you shall sow in your land for six years and gather in its yield. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and let it lie uncultivated. That we knew about. But there's something else. So the needy of your people may eat and whatever they leave, the animals may eat. What do we learn from this? That even in times of dryness, God takes care of his needy. God takes care of us. 
and the fact that the needy can go get food and, and it'll drop on the ground and the animals can take. We need to learn in our times of struggle and our times of dryness, we need to start learning how to glean blessing. Because we know how to gather, we don't know how to glean. Gathering is when the tree is full of fruit and we can just fill up our baskets. Gleaning is when we got to search the ground. There's got to be like one blueberry here somewhere that somebody dropped. Baruch Hashem, I found the blueberry. Thank you, Adonai, for leaving this blueberry for me. We need to learn how to glean during the times of lack because God, even in these times, is leaving blessing for you. That's what the lesson is from this, that the needy can still go in and take, even when nobody's allowed to take. And with the animals leave, you can just, gotta, you can just take. You can glean. There's another scripture in Leviticus 23 in the, in the scripture verse that talks about all the holidays from Passover all the way to Sukkot. And right smack dab in the middle of it, it says, when you glean, don't, when you gather in your crops, don't go to the edges of your field. Leave it for the poor. Leave it for the needy. Leave it for the foreigner. Just leave it. Let people glean. You know, in this culture, we know how to gather. We know how to look at a big blueberry bush and, all right, yeah. We don't know how to glean. Father, help us to know how to glean in these times. We learn from this that he leaves blessings. He leaves us blessings. I want to encourage you, if you're going through a personal Shemitah, that there are blueberries in your land. But you've got to search for them. you got to seek for them. They're left there for you. There are blessings in your land that will keep you nourished until God says your time of regeneration has run its course. Now go and manifest my glory in a greater way than if you didn't go through it. It's the same thing that happens when I take my afternoon nap. I'm a lot more energetic after it's done. I tell you right now that when God brings you through a season of lack, when he's through with it, when God says he's through with it, watch out. Watch out. Watch out. You've been through it for a season. It's a season. It's a season. We see it in the Schmidt. You see that year nine, everything's kind of back to normal. You will hit your year nine. It's a season. It's a season of recharging. And that's why you're going through it. You ain't going to pray it away. It's part of this calendar. You're not going to pray it away. So number one, learn how to glean. Number two, this is really interesting. So it says the needy of your people may eat. This is the gleaning. This is the gleaning, what's out there, you know? This is the gleaning. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Why does God in the Shemitah verses say you should do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove? What does vineyard produce? What does grapes produce? 
What does the olive grove produce? Oil. Wine and oil. I think wine and oil both represent essentially the same thing in Scripture. It's just, it's the spirit. What else? You, I mean, you know more than me probably. What does wine and oil represent? Blood and Holy Spirit. But one thing that's unique about the wine and oil, both come through crushing. Both come through crushing. But they both represent blessing through crushing. Blessing through crushing. So he's saying here, do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove, which means that even in your time of Shemitah, there's going to be wine for you. There's going to be oil for you. There's going to be blessing for you. It may be through crushing, but there's blessing. It may be through crushing, but there's blessing. That's what we learn. Have you ever read the um, seals in Revelation about Yeshua, the lamb, opening up the different seals, and all these bad things happen? And the third seal seems to be more about a famine and price gouging. It does. That was not meant to be funny. Somebody later will have to explain why that was funny. But that's really what it means. So the quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, I believe that what it means is that it does speak about famine and it speaks about things being inflation. <laughs> okay? And don't damage the oil and the wine. Have you ever wondered why it says that and don't damage the oil and the wine? It's a connection to what we just read about the Shemitah, about the vineyard and the olive grove. Is that even in this time, even in biblical tribulation, there will be blessing. If you seek it, you will find it. There might be a time of crushing that's coming, but there is oil for you and there is wine for you. So that's what we learn from the Shemitah. We've got to learn how to glean. Remember, there's blessing even in that time. Bless the name of the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Hallelujah. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not grow weary. Thank you, Father, for your promise. This is what's coming. If you're going through a time of dryness, if you're going through a time of lack, this is what's coming. You have to go through the season. The Shemitah has to happen. If we don't keep it, he's going to force it. If we don't keep it, he's going to force it. And that's why you're going through it. But it's for a season. So get ready to rise up. Get ready to be regenerated. We're in the counting of the Omer season right now. Pentecost is just a few days away. He needs a recharged body. He needs a recharged body especially in this time, especially in this time. So, Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the realities that are in your word. We thank you, Adonai, that as Cassius said, this is for us. This is our story. This is not some ancient law for some ancient people. This is our story. So thank you, Adonai, that today we understand how the Shemitah is something that we experience, whether we're farmers or not. So, Father, I just speak peace. Shalom over everyone here who's going through a personal Shemitah, a time 
of not gathering, not even planting, maybe seeing a lot out there, but just for some reason, the bounty's not coming. Hang in there. Learn how to glean. Learn how to receive the oil and the wine that's there. Don't touch the oil and the wine, it says. Don't touch it. Don't damage it. Which means the blessing is still there even in this time. I speak that over everyone to receive that blessing and to know that the recharging of your batteries is happening right now. The recharging, the regenerating is happening right now. And it's designed by God and it's ordained by God and it's needed for this hour. Wait and see. Thank you, Father. In Yeshua's name, amen.